Let us find our seats. So good to see everybody here. There's an energy in the room, man. This is a pretty lit night, okay? Glad everybody's excited to be here. So, does anybody know, in four days, it's August, what, 22nd in four days. What's the significance of that day? No. It's the first time we met as Fusion Fellowship. So we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Cool. That's exciting. Let's go to Wasabi. Let's go. Everybody, Wasabi on Carlisle. Okay. Ran out the whole place. Good to see everybody. So tonight, we got Craig and Evan teaching out of 1 Timothy 5. We're continuing on. Uh, this may be the last 1 Tim teaching. It may be the next one. That's the last one. We'll see if we finish the book out. But we're almost done. So uh, open your Bibles up if you got some. Because I don't think we have a PowerPoint, correct? No. Throw it away. Thunderstorm. We're going to meet outside, but there's a thunderstorm, so you know, whatever. Uh, just sit outside then. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, First Timothy 5. That's what we're working out of today. Uh, tonight, no fun at all, as, as usual, on meeting nights. But, just kidding, there's a lot of fun. Next week, Carla, where are we going? The... We're going to the illustrious 152nd Randolph County Fair. Randolph County Fair. Now... For you stouters out there, prior stouters, we're not doing the derby. The derby is that not that night. Yeah, well, there is going to be a truck pool. Truck and truck and truck. Oh, there might be some tractors there. It's family day. Whoa. It's family day. Kids get in free. That's a, that's a good deal anywhere you look at it. Um, so this is the second to last summer meeting. Our next summer meeting in two weeks will be the last one. And then I think from there we're going to go every week. And so this is uh, the last, I guess, two-week break before our, our, our every week. So just, just keep that in mind. Uh, any other kind of announcements? Oh, yeah, Labor Day is coming up. So pay Jamie if you want to go. It's 5 bucks a person. No, 10 5 bucks if you just want to come for the day. $10, yeah. no matter how many nights you want to stay, you're staying any night for $10. Gotcha. So if you need Jamie's... Contact information or PayPal or whatever, talk to her about that. So let her, let her know if you're going. I think that's it as far as announcements. Baptisms are when? Week after Labor Day. Holy jamoli, week after Labor Day. On a Saturday yep. afternoon at West Branch. West Branch. West Branch, exactly right. Make some fuck events, man. Yeah. Very good. I think that's it. So, Craig, please come on up. Hi, 
evening. All right, so tonight we're going to be in 1 Timothy 5. Um, we're continuing on here. We were talking last week about leadership. Um, but as a recap, like Paul had planted this church in Ephesus. And, you know, years later, some, the leaders there had become false teachers. They were spreading some things that weren't true. Paul had come back to Ephesus, fired all those leaders. He put Timothy in charge. This church has a lot of problems. And so he's calling on Timothy. I want you to appoint some leaders. I want you to get things straight. I want you to like get this church growing again. Restore it. <clears throat> and uh, we read in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, um, I write so you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So he's really giving out some instructions here on here's some healthy things that you should see in a church so we can all know how we should be contributing. So this week we're going to continue that theme on uh, chapter 5, on how we should contribute uh, in a healthy church. But first, uh, let's have someone pray. Father, um, I just want to thank you so much that uh, you give us ways to contribute in a healthy church, that it's not just uh, we come, we show up, we listen, we leave. Um, It's cool that you you give us a significant role. Um, I pray that you can be uh, speaking through... Craig and Evan tonight about what that looks like, and that we can be, uh, we can be convicting our hearts uh, through their speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, I thank you that you are interested in us and that you, um, you want to tell us about yourself, giving us um, this word of yours about you and about your plan and about us, uh, but it's mostly about you and, and who you are. Um, and how you want to to, uh, to change us and give us abundant life. Mm-hmm. And so, God, I pray as we get into your word today that your word would get into us and that we would uh, open ourselves up to you, that we would um, submit our hearts to you uh, for abundant life. Yeah, God, I agree with that. And I, I thank you that you do want to give us instruction. And we just want to have... Uh, our eyes open, our, our ears open to be able to hear what you have to say and be changed. Um, pray that you'd give us some direction, put some things on our hearts on uh, ways we can uh, follow you and go in your direction better. Amen. Um, so we're in chapter five. I can read the verses because I'm only going over a couple of them, but I will have a couple other verses if somebody wants to grab a few from me later. For Derek, you want to get Second Corinthians Chapter 5, I got a couple verses there. Um, Lindsay, you want to get James 1, 19 and 20. Jordan, you want to get 1 Peter 1, 18. Um, I think that's all. Well, there's another one in James, but you were in James, right? You can just stay there. All right. So... I'll start out in uh, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters in all purity. So we touched on this a little bit last week, but really this is like the anchor point when going forward here. And he's, he's basically saying, he's like, just don't sharply rebuke people. Don't be, like, angry and harsh towards people. You want to appeal to people. 
Now, being sharp is something that we're probably all used to in our families. They call me Sharp Craig. Oh. <laughs> for a reason. Oh, yeah. Like sharp cheddar cheese is like biting, right? Yeah, it's got a bite. Yeah. I can say some cutting things. Rich started calling me that, Rich and Carlisle. Oh. But it's. That's not mention names. Won't mention names. But we learn these patterns of relating from our family. Like, my family is real passive. Um, but they like to, like, point out negative things in a really, like, mocking way. To, like, kind of, like, bust you in front of everybody. And it's usually directed towards my anti-vax sister from Florida. She's, like, anti-vax before COVID. She's, like, she just is very stubborn about all these opinions and everything. And so usually she gets, like, mocked, like, in the family and stuff. And we all jab back. That's like kind of like the, the natural way things go. I usually have a lot of like, like we butt heads. I know that like this is, happens a lot. Like when we're, we're at my parents and they, they have a boat, they live on a little lake. And uh, my nephews will beg me like, take us out on the boat. Let's go tubing because I'm the only one who can drive the boat, me or, or grandpa. No one else knows how to drive the boat, even though they lived there 20 years. I don't know why. <laughs> So we go out on the boat, my sister the whole time sitting next to me, watching me with these like, you know, 10 and 8 year old kids. I'm driving them on the tube. She's like, slow down. So you don't turn so fast. Like it's like every time we go on the boat, like you're going to you're going to kill them or something is the attitude. And I like say a sharp comment like this most recent time. I'm like, you realize you have a pond behind your house with literal alligators and you let your kids play in it. And her, like, response to that is, like, this literal response was, do you know how many kids alligators actually kill in a year? I'm like, <laughs> my response was, do you know how many kids I actually kill in a year? <laughs> so, then she changed, so then she changes the argument to, you're going to break their back. <laughs> like... So this is the point where one of us would normally, like, try to, like, make a really deep cut to, like, make it even, like, more humiliating or something. You just had to end it. There's, you're not getting anywhere. But this is, like, the type of thing in my family that's, like, it's kind of a normal thing. But that, like, spills over into the way I relate with people and just in general, like, in the body of Christ. I know when I first started coming to this church, I, like, had a reputation for making a lot of the girls cry. I know Kaylee Brooks has said in a testimony that I like when I first started coming I literally made her cry because of like harshly pointing something out to her I'm like that's not cool you know like I guess it was kind of true but I was really not trying to like be helpful so this is like the thing that I like learn in my family that like carries out into the world is just like being harsh being sharp just trying to like just trying to get you but Paul's saying, like, we should be transformed. We shouldn't follow our old ways. We should be following God's ways. And a healthy church is transforming people from takers to givers. That is, in fact, our biggest witness. You don't see that type of thing just naturally happening where people are becoming less selfish and, like, giving. Who had 2 Corinthians 5.15? <clears throat> and he 
died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. Yeah, so he died so that you no longer live for yourself. And this is something that's not going to happen overnight. It's one conversation at a time. I know we can probably all remember, like those of us who've been here a while, people were really patient with us when we're coming around, and we got a lot of, lot of things that need to be changed about us, and people will take it like one thing at a time. You could like go after a million things, but it takes some patience. It takes some wisdom from God. And he's saying here, just don't be me. I don't want you to like sharply rebuke some people. And that's a problem that, that we could have in the body is just looking down on other people. Demanding, like, you have to change immediately. But the body of Christ should be like a, a family, or should not be like our family, where we have this dysfunctional ways of relating. Um, usually your dysfunction in the family is either, like, this explosive anger or, like, some passive where you bottle everything up, which usually, like, eventually explodes anyways. Um, he's saying, like, it shouldn't be like this. Instead, he says, let's appeal to these people. Appeal to an older man. Um, can you get back in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But, we, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So he's calling on us to persuade people. This is something that's going to take a lot of conversations. It's something that's going to take the Spirit to give us insight. It's not something where you just like jump in and say, like, this is something that's got to change right now. Um, James 1, 19 and 20. Lindsay. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Yeah. Yep. The... <clears throat> The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So I could come to someone like Derek and be like, Derek, why haven't you been at cell group the last couple of weeks? I didn't even see you at CT. I don't, you actually were not at Permian this week either. What, come to more stuff, man. Come on. Why aren't you just coming to more stuff? He's just going to withdraw more. You know, and it's, it's, that's like an extreme example, but like we can pressure people and just be like, well, I noticed that you weren't at this thing. What's wrong? You know, why, why weren't you there? You need to perform. And the thing is, like, there may be a legit issue. Maybe Derek hates hearing me teach because he knows it's going to be boring. <laughs> but we got to like understand people where they're coming from. And if we're harsh, you know, harsh leaders are going to make man-pleasers who just, like, just want to make them happy and try to, like, not rock the boat. But that eventually is going to come out as bitterness, bitterness towards the leaders or bitterness towards Christ. It grows. And people just leave the church. But the other error from, like, being mean is to just say nothing. And so I don't, I don't know if you're, like, maybe afraid of confrontation. Maybe your family is, like, They'll punish you if you confront. So if you like bring something up, there's going to be alienation for the next like three or four months. Like people are just not going to talk to you. It's going to be really tough. There's going to be a price to pay. And so it can feel like I just don't want to like. Let's just let's just like sweep this under the rug or something. But he's saying here, if you try to appeal respectfully, 
you'll actually be amazed at how easy it is. I remember feeling like that when I lived in my first ministry house. Um, I had a, a roommate who, like, he, like, was critical. He would kind of, like, laugh whenever I did something. Uh, whenever I messed something up, he would, like, want to, like, make fun of me. He was just kind of difficult, not, like, there's not, like, a lot of positive interaction we had for a while. And I, like, it was bottling up in me, like, for months and months. I, like, just didn't want to talk to this guy. I kind of avoided him. I'm, like, afraid of this conversation. It's going to be this big, scary conversation. What's he going to say? And finally, I worked my way up to it in a car ride with him. And he's just, like, real, like, oh, I probably would be difficult to live with. And he's just, like, humble about it. And we're able to, like, talk about it. And I'm, like... I was worried about this conversation for months, you know, and it was just this simple thing where he was like, oh, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I, I think, like, that's the way we work ourselves up about a lot of things. Like, I'm just, I better not, it's going to cost too much to say this. But actually, if you're respectful about bringing something up, you might be surprised at how uh, beneficial it can be and how it may work out. But the point is, we all have destructive patterns. We all have ways from our family that we grew up with that we have to unlearn. And this transformation begins by redemption. Whenever you are salvaging a car, you gotta, there may be a million things wrong with it, but you got to start with what works. I got Erica's grandpa gave me a truck a couple of years ago. There was very little good about that truck. But it did run. At the time, for a while. And we started with that, and I was like tweaking all the little things and getting it to work, and had John uh, replace some stuff where the, the frame was literally like not connected to the wheel. <laughs> Needed a new the gas tank, had a whole, huge hole in it and stuff. But, you know, we got it working, and it lasted for like a year. But you start by redeeming what is redeemable, what is good. Uh, who had First Peter one eighteen? For you know that it was not with perishable things such a such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handled handed down to you from your ancestors. Yeah, he's saying he's pointing out here that we were redeemed by something even better than gold. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ, and He came down and loved us. He knows that there's nothing good in us. We're not good. Um, we can't earn our way to being with God. And he redeemed us with his blood and his sacrifice so that we can be part of his family. And so this is where it starts. He's taken, you know, there's a little bit there. That's good. And let's, let's redeem it. And he's transforming. And so he's going to get into an example here. Paul is in uh, chapter five um, with widows. And this, so it's a practical example in their own lives um, that's right in their face. Um, I guess I'll read it because I didn't assign chapter five to anyone. Um, In verses three and four, it says, honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents for that is acceptable in the sight of God. So this is an example in their midst. They have a lot of widows in their culture um, it's not common for the widows to easily get remarried. And so they had these, these people, um, they were really needy. And so he's trying to point out there, well, let's start off first with the family. 
if there's a widow here who's like struggling and she has kids or even grandkids that are grown up and they're like Christians, they're in the church, they need to start giving. They need to take care of their own family. And so he says that is acceptable in the sight of God. He calls it piety. And piety just means worship. In fact, James 1.27, Lindsay. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Yeah, so this is not like all that we are called to do, but this is like a pure thing, like you're sacrificing and caring for someone who has no one else to care for. And he's saying you first learn to worship the Lord by loving your own family. You've got to serve them. If there's a need there and you're, you're a grown kid, you can't just ignore them. And so he's calling on them, like we're not just going to have the church go and take care of all these widows. First, their family, if they have a family, needs to learn to do that. And so people may come to Fusion or to CT and feel loved, encouraged, built up, but then still harbor like this bitterness towards their family. Maybe you hate your family. But the body of Christ should not be a place where you escape your family and just like, I can avoid them and get away with it. It's a place where we're getting like trained so we can go back in there. Maybe we need to learn some basic things, get some basic transformation going before we can go back and love our family. But, um, you know, it's very natural to fall into the old patterns whenever we're with family. So maybe we need to learn how to be edifying in home church. Maybe you need to, if you're single, um, live in your ministry house and go serve some, some other guys or girls. Maybe you need to get into a service ministry. Um, there's many ways that you can learn to lay aside yourself and become a giver, become someone who's sacrificial, learning to love, contribute. And then you have something of substance. You have a foundation to go back and love your family. Um, discipleship, in fact, should be focused on this too, like going back and understanding where does this person come from? What are the dysfunction in their family that they learned? And how can we undo that? You know, how do they, what can be redeemed? That's what discipleship is really all about. Go back to where they learned all these things and try to redeem it. So I've had some success with that. You know, learning how to like put up boundaries with my family. I'm not going to contribute with all the, the criticism and um, learning to love them a little bit. But um, I thought it would be good. We thought it would be good to have someone else come up here and give a testimony on someone who's had um, some really good victory in this area, uh, being able to love her family. So, Eleni? Um, Hi. (laughs) For those of you that don't know me, um, my name is Eleni. Um, (laughs) Now, I... No, a lot of you know this, but some of you probably don't. Um, I grew up in an abusive home. Uh, my dad's an alcoholic. He's bipolar. Um, I'm really grateful my parents are still together. That's really cool. Um, my dad doesn't drink anymore, which is also really cool. Um, but it was really hard growing up. There was a lot of hurt and a lot of anger at my dad specifically. 
Um, my dad was mentally abusive. Um, he was verbally abusive. Nothing that I did was good enough. I remember being in third grade and getting a C on a spelling test and sobbing because I didn't want to go home to tell my dad. Um, I remember being in fifth grade and like faking my mom's signature on a test because I didn't do well on it because I didn't want my dad to know because I was scared of it. Uh, when my dad left for the second time, because my dad left twice when I was a kid, um, he and I had gotten into a really big fight that day because I shut the screen door too loudly. And so when he left, I felt like it was my fault um, because he just disappeared. Uh, now, my dad was also physically abusive sometimes. Like There were times where he pulled me out of a van because I accidentally woke up my little brother and slammed me up against it on the outside. Um, there are lots of things like that growing up. And so when my parents, when I was like in sixth grade, my, that's when my dad left for the second time, I hated my dad. I wanted nothing to do with this man. And, but on the flip side of that, I also really, really wanted him to love me. I really wanted to be good enough for him. Um, so my dad ended up coming back. He got help. Uh, lived in a halfway house for a long time. And he ended up like coming back into our lives. My mom let him move back in, all this stuff. But I remember just being furious with him. I remember praying, Lord, I don't want him to come home. Because... It, I would get a C, like, in band, because I didn't like practicing, and I'd get really nervous to, like, play in front of the band director in high school. I got grounded for an entire semester because of that. Like, not just stuck at home, but, like, stuck in my bedroom at home, could only go downstairs to get food and bring it back up to my room. My dad would say, okay, come down, and you can be with our family and eat dinner with us, which is, like, a reward for me. And then he would start with, we'd start watching a movie and get... 20 minutes in and he'd say go back up to your room you're done now and so it was really scary growing up because I never knew when angry dad was kind of come around right because my dad was bipolar he was really really mad sometimes and it would just be out of the blue because I would get this super loving man who would do anything he'd drive me all over the place I played travel softball basically my entire like from third grade until I was 17 and broke my wrist like the entire time, take me to tournaments every single weekend, pay for me to go to these things, spend all of his extra time with me. But then I'd also get the man who would slam doors and scream and make me feel like this big on a pretty regular basis. And so I just desperately wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted for who I was. And the way that I used to do that is I would try to force people to do that. I would date someone because that's how I thought, okay, like if I date someone, then they'll love me and I can make them stay. But then I would be like that really clingy girlfriend. Like if you didn't pick up the phone, I would call 5 million times until you did and annoy you to death. You know, I would just yell at you and try to manipulate you into loving me. And my, when I came up to college, I was excited to be away from my family, 
really angry at my family too. (laughs) Really scared to be away from them for the first time, but just desperate to find someone that would love me. And I ended up like my first year, I, I didn't, Growing up, I didn't want to come to Kent State. (laughs) Like, literally, from the time I was in third grade, wanted to go to Bowling Green. My mom's like, you have to apply to more than just one school. I was like, cool, sounds great. Went to visit Kent State and just felt this need to be here. Because growing up, I wasn't a believing Christian. I thought I was. I was raised Greek Orthodox, and I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. was like, I went to church. I did all the things. I took communion, got smelly incense waved in my face. All whole nine yards. Uh, but I felt this need to be on campus and I couldn't explain it to anybody. They'd be like, why do you want to go to Kent? <laughs> like, where did this come from? I'd be like, oh, they have a cool gym. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really go there. Uh, they have a good education program. Spoiler alert, I'm not a teacher anymore. Like, I just couldn't tell anyone why. But my first night on campus, I literally physically, there was like a freshman, freshman dance, and I physically ran into this girl named Dottie. Like physically ran into her. And she was like, hey, want to dance with us? I was like, yeah, cool. I really don't want to dance with these guys. Like they're kind of weird. <laughs> sure, let's dance. And like ended up going to Circle K because back then I didn't even know what a Circle K was. They're like, let's go to Circle K. We'll get some, some you know, Polar Pops. I was like, cool. What's Polar Pop? <laughs> Sounds good. But um. I ended up coming around, and eventually, like, these people were so loving to me, like, so loving. They were willing to, like, this one girl, um, a good friend of mine, a friend of mine died when I was a freshman in college. Uh, I was supposed to hang out with her, and I ditched her to go hang out with my then-boyfriend, and a drunk driver hit her, and she died. Mm -hmm. And I felt an immense feeling of guilt for a long time. And this girl that I had known for like three months maybe came and stayed up with me until like 3 (laughs) a.m. because she knew I was hurting and I was sad. And I had never experienced people people actually giving a shit about me like that before Um, and truly caring about me and asking about me. And I started learning about God more. And I started learning about how loving and merciful he is and how you didn't have to be perfect. Because with my family, you had to be perfect. Like, I, I can remember so many times calling home with my parents and being like, hey, I got an A on this test. That's awesome, Eleni, it's not an A plus. Why didn't you get an A plus? Mm. Like, completely serious. <laughs> like, why wasn't it 100 if you knew it well enough to get an A? Why didn't you get a perfect score? Um, mm. But I was learning about God and how accepting and loving he is. And it completely was mind altering for me. And it got to a point where I had to make a decision to come to know him, which was really great. So I did. Um, I asked for Jesus's death on the cross to count for me to have a relationship with him, which was awesome. And I was like, super excited about it. I got saved like literally the day before I went home for winter break. And then I went home back to my family where everything was the same. (laughs) It wasn't different at all. And for a long time, even though I had a relationship with God, I was still really, really angry at my dad and at my mom. And just pure, I couldn't be on the phone with them without crying because I felt like, I had to protect myself. I was trying to force people, my friends, at this, like, this Bible study to like 
be my friend and not be mean to me. I literally, we were going out for Halloween one night and we were hanging out and the guys wanted to go somewhere that the girls didn't. And I yelled at one of the guys, like, if any of these girls get raped, it's your fault. <laughs> Cause I wanted to try to manipulate him and force him to do what I wanted him to do. Cause I thought that that was best. It's not loving. And I started gaining this reputation of being really mean. Really mean. I moved into my first ministry apartment and poor Lindsay, she would like try to talk to me about stuff and I would tell her what she was doing wrong and then say, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. Bye. Like she would spend like 15, 20 minutes just pouring her heart out to me. And I'd be like, okay, well, you're just being an asshole to these, in this way. Like you just need to fix it. Okay. Good night. I'm going to go to bed now because I don't want to deal with this. Not nice. Just not nice. Not a nice person. Um, until I started really studying the character of God. And uh, there's this verse in Lamentations 3. And it's, it's Lamentations 3, 22 to 24. Uh, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so people started bringing up my relationship with my dad to me. I was real pissed about it, like not, a, not happy, like slammed doors, ran out of houses, did not want to speak about my dad to anybody because they didn't get it. Um, but got to the point where I recognized that God loved me so much that he was willing to die for me. He was willing to die for my dad. <laughs> Even though my dad was really not a cool dude. And I had this forgiveness where I didn't know if my dad did or not. And so I started recognizing that I had this opportunity to forgive my dad and to move towards him and to experience healing. And it was really hard <laughs> to forgive someone that has had abused you for a long, had abused me for a long time. And it's still really hard. Um, I remember having a conversation with him being like, okay, I forgive you for these things. And he's like, what did I do? Like, I wasn't a good dad, but I wasn't that bad. And I was like, okay. <laughs> we had different versions of my childhood, but okay. Um, but slowly, slowly, God was able to repair that. And I'm so grateful for it. Now I, I'm married and I get to experience love in a very healthy way, which is really cool. I have friends. I have people that know me for me. I don't have to pretend anymore. And the only way that I was able to get that experience was to start studying who God really was and to really start forgiving and give up my anger and give up what I was holding on to. And now I get to have a pretty cool relationship with my dad. He still can be an asshole. Um, but he is starting to respect me. When we got married, Justin had to talk to him and be like, dude, you don't get to talk to my wife like that. Because he got really mad one time. And like, Justin's a very kind man. He's very stable, very steady. Not someone that loves confrontation. And my dad's a very confrontational dude. And Justin's like, no, you don't get to talk to my wife like that. My dad's like, all right, cool. Thanks for telling me that. And I'm like, I was floored. Yes. <laughs> I was like, who are you? 
you know? And now we ha- I have a little girl, Sophia. And I will say that has like completely added a whole nother layer of like, who is this man that's like interacting with this little girl? Cause he is so loving and so tender with her. And he listens when I say no, which is very strange because those of you that know me, my dad does not listen. Like he literally says, I'm, you can say no, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Um, but like we went and spent a week with him this past, this summer. And I was really nervous because my, my daughter's like wants to watch Bluey or super simple songs all the time on someone's phone. And she knows if she asks Yaya and Papu that they'll say yes. So I had to like gear myself up for this conversation with my dad where I'm like, dad, if Sophia asks you for the phone, say no. She's not allowed. And he like made this big long thing. He's like, oh, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm her grandpa. I can say yes, blah, 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 blah. But that entire week never did. Always said, you have to ask mommy. And that's huge. This week, today, actually, it was amazing. Today, we were supposed to go camping this weekend, Justin, Sophia, and I. We were going to go down outside of Columbus. My dad was going to come and visit us at the campsite. Well, it's supposed to rain like all weekend. It looks really gross. And my dad called and was like, hey, I don't want you to feel obligated to still come and see us. We would love for you to come and stay with us if you want, but I don't want you to feel obligated to do that. And I was like, what? Because this is coming from a man who would just show up in my house. All right. And he's like, I don't want you to feel obligated to do these things. And I was like, dad, we want to see you. And I was telling the truth. I was like, I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want my daughter to spend time with you and and hang out. He's like, okay, if that's what you really want, but I don't want you to feel obligated. It's like, all right, that's amazing. And last weekend I was having a conversation with my mom because she just sort of has like started coming around more and came to a Bible study and was like, or came to one of the CTs and was like, I've never heard Grace explain this way. It was really cool. Um, So she's starting to talk about God and learn about that. And that's really freaking amazing in the first place because before it was like, I don't know, ask your grandma. My grandma's dead now. She can't say that anymore, but it's pretty cool that she's wants to learn. But she was talking to me and she goes, you know, I think your dad hates his job. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what's he going to do? He's like, well, I think he's waiting until I retire next year. And then he's going to quit. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, and then he's going to find a job up there. And I was like, oh, up where? Up by you. Oh, and then what? Well, then we're going to move up there. I was like, you're going to move by me? And he's just like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's kind of cool. You know, and because I want desperately for my family to come to know the Lord. I don't know if my dad does. I have a feeling that he might have when he went through the 12-step program because he is like a different man than the guy that I grew up with. But the fact that I'm able to talk to him about these things and we can have conversations about God and what he believes in. He'll shut off sometimes and he can still be a jerk. But it's totally different relationship. And the Lord is so kind. Um, I'm still recognizing things where I was like, ooh, that was kind of abusive about my past. And I still have to forgive my dad <laughs> and like move forward with him. Um, but I will say that that forgiveness and that transformation that's occurred in my heart has been completely life-changing for me because I'm not so angry anymore. I can have relationships with other people without feeling like I have to try to force them to be my friend or to like cling on to them. I can be friends with guys and or girls and them say, I don't agree with you and not freak out at them and tell them that if something bad happens, it's all their fault. 
and try to manipulate them. It's amazing. I get the opportunity to like disciple women and like be a part of their lives and talk to them about their families and talk to them about how God's impacting them there. And it's really, really cool. And so like, if you don't have a relationship with God, I just want to remind you that his mercies are new every single morning and that he wants to love you and his faithfulness like never, will never cease. And he's always going to be there for you because he is what's constant in this world. Not us and our feelings, but him. So that's kind of all I had to say about that. I can't believe I have to follow that up. It's not even fair. I know. So now we know what the goal is, right? Based on what we're reading here in chapter 5, what Paul's trying to tell Timothy here. Like, this is what it looks like to have a church of people who are transforming, right? Transformative lives, bringing uh, grace back to their families, things like this. Away from the dysfunctional takers into loving servants, right? Like Eleni just very eloquently explained to us in her own life. Um, so Paul then continues on with uh, some fairly logistical and administrative advice words that I would normally associate with an incredibly boring work meeting that probably should have just been an email, right? But I promise you, I was wrong in thinking that when I first read this because this is some revolutionary stuff that he uh, follows up with because he's still going into uh, a lot of what it looks like for a church to develop a service-based ministry, right? Some foundational things, four even foundational points you're taking notes if you're that kind of guy to build a serving church or service ministries in general uh, the first being where do you begin a service ministry you know uh i probably should have passed out verses so Lindsay, you're already in james stay there um who is in first uh, timothy five already craig was but i can do it oh craig was <laughs> i'll allow you rich to do so uh, Matthew twenty six eleven. Who's got that one for me? Uh-huh. Jeffrey. Uh, Galatians six ten. Who's got that? Lenny. Stealing the show. <laughs> <laughs> and this is sufficient. All right. First, where do we begin a service ministry? Inside the body of Christ. Can I get verses three and four of First Timothy five? Yeah, Niv, okay? I'll allow it. All right. <laughs> Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion to practice by caring for their own family and so repaying the parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Yeah, can you get verse 8 as well? 8? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith... And is worse than an unbeliever. Yeah, worse than an unbeliever. So Paul's like, guys, I cannot believe I have to explain this to you guys. Everyone understands that mom and dad are kind of important. And when they need your help, they raised you, you help them, right? <laughs> you pick them up, you support them when they can't support themselves anymore. Uh, in this era, widows, I feel like it's, it's, uh, there needs to be some translation here, uh, historical context established. Because now it's like if your husband dies as a, as a, a wife... You just can have a job and then retire someday and be all right. 
this was not the case at the time. Uh, if your widow, if, if your widow, if your uh, husband died, uh, you were guaranteed uh, poor to be poor and to be homeless uh, until your dying day um, in the first century without any sort of family to pick you up afterwards. Can I get that uh, James one twenty seven passage from Yeah. Lindsay? Yeah. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their distress, mm-hmm. and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Yeah, so this is also referencing widows and orphans alongside widows, right? So we can understand this as an expression for the modern era. So whenever you're hearing these passages, uh, we can sort of translate widow or orphan into those who are disadvantaged, those who are weak, those who are uh, damaged, okay? Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot, uh, I was reminded whenever I hear the term orphans, right? Because you don't see a whole lot of orphans running around. I'm always thinking of like Oliver Twist, like stealing soup and picking uh, pockets and stuff like that. You don't see that anymore. Uh, I haven't really seen any little British kids running around stealing my wallet. But we have in our own way uh, orphans, adult orphans, in fact. Uh, folks that were never taught basic life skills, that had broken families, that uh, never were taught how to balance a budget, never taught how to hold a job, never taught basic hygiene, stuff like this. These are your modern day orphans. These are your modern day widows, um, the people that uh, live hand to mouth. And Christ has this to say himself about the poor. Who, got, who has a Matthew twenty six eleven for me? For you always have the poor with you, yeah, there's nothing really deep uh, about this passage. It's very straightforward. Uh, the poor will always exist. I'm going back home soon. That's what Christ is saying there. I am going to be returning back to heaven very rapidly, and he did. And the poor, 2,000 years later, still around, right? Holds up. The poor will be around forever. So our goal as Christians, we have to understand, is not to solve poverty, right? Your bleeding heart type is doomed for, uh, I won't say, yeah, if your goal is to like eradicate, eradicate all poverty, you're, you're, you're doomed for failure because uh, in 2,000 more years, if we're still around at all, uh, there's still going to be poor folks. But our difference between uh, the, our, our government attempting to alleviate these issues and us is that we're trying to reach into people's lives on individual levels and understand where they are at. And make trans and, and teach them the uh, love of God, so that they can experience true transformation in their lives and internal significance. So we don't have to look further than our own families and friends to find immediate opportunities to serve the disadvantaged. Our second foundation is who is truly in need. I get verse five and seven. Yep, the widow who is really in need and left all alone. Puts her hope in God, continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Give the people these instructions that no one may be open to blame. Yeah. So Paul is being specific, right? Not just any check of the dead husband gets to be on the church dime, right? That's what he's trying to say here. Uh, they aren't, they shouldn't be someone who would be easy to remarry. Uh, in verses 9 through 11, he talks about anyone under the age of 60 shouldn't be on this list of widows that are supported by the church. 
These days that would be adjusted for life expectancy more like 80 or 90. You're looking at folks with only about 10 years left to live on average. Uh, and the reality is if you're poor at 80 these days, you're gonna still die poor. <laughs> That's just our simple reality. Uh, there's just not any more opportunity for you on a career path, right? And that was especially true then. So if you're able to work the sort of modern day takeaway here, if you're able to work, you need to work to support yourself because the body of Christ needs to serve those who are truly destitute and disadvantaged. The disabled, both mentally and physically, the very, very old and the very, very sick. Which is this not to be confused with folks who do not know how or do not want to work, right? Uh, you can end up causing pretty significant damage with blind handouts if you're not careful. Uh, my own experience actually, when I was uh, over COVID, I was one of the many people that got uh, laid off. So I was unemployed. And I, even like now looking back on it, I think it was, it's a good thing that we support folks that are in a bad spot. But maybe it's good of me as a guy, but I, I suspect that this is the case with everyone. After like four or so months of unemployment, uh, I was feeling pretty depressed and down. And a lot of my former tendencies when I was growing up as a pretty lazy kid in a very advantageous position with very good family, um, I was feeling a lot of that temptation to come back around and being lazy and also just being depressed. There's something baked into us that pushes us to create and support other people, create uh, um, you know, opportunity and support other people. Next foundational aspect of our ministries, our service ministries, uh, we need to prioritize, right? Because establishing just who def definitely needs help doesn't really narrow down the, pop pop the population pool of people that need help too very much. Um, can I get verse 10 of 1 Tim 5? Yeah. And is well known for good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Yeah. So we have to keep our sights on the goal that we've established here. We're redeeming people. We're redeeming their families so that they can more and more serving. Uh, and the reality is that our church's resources are limited no matter how big we get. Uh, but we can sort of identify, even within this, sort of your one, two, and three in terms of where you go first on prioritizing the truly needy. Can I get Galatians 6.10? Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family. Yeah, so our first priority out of those within your most immediate body of Christ, uh, you know, we have some uh, ministries on our own here that we do. Uh, respite ministry is a great example of that. Folks within our fellowship, but even slightly outside of it, uh, who are affected by disability and their families are able to bring their kids around and uh, hear the gospel and have an evening uh, of rest from an otherwise very, very busy lifestyle. A lot of our retirement home ministries as well this is another example where we are showing folks that are in the end stages of their lives that they also can be significant. That's what the Lord wants to show a lot of, uh, to show through this, is that uh, the opportunities the Lord puts immediately in front of us to build up other people should be with the goal of building up givers. Can I get verses 11 through 13? Yep. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For their central desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get in the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And they not only do they become idlers, 
but also busybodies who talk nonsense saying things they ought not to. Yeah. So effectively, folks who are ungrateful takers will continue to be. Folks who are ungrateful takers, uh, or that are grateful takers, right? People that are in need who are able to express gratitude and respond to the gospel, respond to the, fel the fellowship they see here, the love they see here, the uh, work God has done for them on the cross. Uh, these are the folks that we want to especially invest in. Then after that, we have all other Christians. We have our world ministries. I won't get too much into that. You could teach all night on just that alone. And then outside of those two things, right, the body of Christ immediately here and worldwide, you have just your community, right? Uh, it's third, not because it isn't important, not because folks outside the body of Christ are less important than those inside on like a human, humanity, humanity level, like no soul is worth more than another, right? But it's just really difficult to navigate. This is an area that we're growing as a ministry, I think, last because for a long time we didn't have many resources. We just got this place like two years ago. We're working on that one. So the point here is not to be heartless, it's to be shrewd. And not taking the bleeding heart approach so that we can really identify on a pragmatic level that God's plan here, God's, God's uh, method is the way to go. Building up people to be givers is the best way to have more resources to give more. Turns out, <laughs> right? Uh, the final foundational point here I want to make is to rescue the weak and to make disciples. So you redeem your family, you've been transformed into a lover and servant of others in spite of your messed up family, right? Uh, it's time to show these things to those that you serve and so that they can do it as well. Uh, the actual solution is to become a nurturing and useful and significant person. That is the solution to uh, disadvantaged life. Uh, can I get verse 14? Yeah. So I counsel young widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Yeah. So this is victorious love that we're talking about here. It produces redemption. Uh, if you read that passage, it really sounds like you're sort of stereotypical, like, like if you're a stay-at-home mom kind of thing that everyone looks down on now. But it'd be really ignorant to inject our 21st century understanding of that into it. These are folks that would otherwise be totally screwed that get to be significant and stable and raise, folk, raise a family. That's a big deal. We've seen this in our own fellowship. I think it's kind of funny now uh, that we have, as we used to refer to them, the trifecta of the B-Town now that we have Brian Bassett in here with us. So we got B... We got Rich, we got Carlisle. These are guys that had it rough growing up in Bedford and Speed Town, right? You guys didn't have it easy in a lot of different ways. In some ways, you'd be identified as disadvantaged, right? But our fellowship was able to take you under our wing. I remember growing up alongside you guys. And in, in, uh, now, look where you guys are at now. All three of you pillars of our church here. That's super cool. This is what we're talking about here. Eleni as well, you know, just laying out her testimony there. This is the kind of thing we're pushing for. So that you have a lot more to give back to other folks who also don't have much. And verses 17 through like 25 are all talking about eldership, which we've talked about quite a few times. So I'm not going to get into it too terribly much because we're going a little long here. But I just want to point out a handful of things. Um, 
Elders are worth paying when they are getting up to teach a lot. Uh, the CT teachers we have are all, world are all world class at this point, especially the guys that we have on Dime. It's wild. Like we're just as good, in my opinion, as any one of your big Christian uh, like teachers out there. These guys really dedicate a lot of time and effort into diving into the word so that they know how to most wisely lead our church and just convict us every single Saturday. Um, because of the, how rigorous it is to become an elder, it's not uh, worthwhile hearing out and taking seriously every single accusation that gets brought up against them, and that's multiple people are doing so in a group, because they're going to be under more fire, and you spent a heck of a lot of time and effort building them up before you laid the hands on them. And finally, at the end of the day, the fruit that someone is uh, planting, can I get verses 24 and 25? Yeah. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even yeah. those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Yeah. So at the end of the day, whatever you are, whatever your ulterior motives are, right, your actual motives, I would say, behind the service you provide, the love that you give, this kind of thing, your goals, if it's a selfish thing, that is going to be made apparent by God at some point. If it is a loving thing, that is going to be itself apparent at some point by God as well. You can't hide. And you especially won't be able to hide after you die and everyone gets to see on display every single decision that you made being judged by the Lord, right? Uh, that's really the question here tonight. If you are not a believer, do some of these things interest you? A life of significance in spite of your circumstances growing up or even right now, your circumstances immediately. Freedom from the cycle of being doomed to as much as we as teenagers promised we would never be like mom and dad, being doomed to bring it back into our own families and our, and our marriages and et cetera. Freedom from that, breaking that cycle. That's an opportunity you have if you decide to follow the Lord, decide to accept the Lord into your life. Second of all, uh, if you are someone who is a part of this fellowship, are you serving somewhere? Uh, because the best time to start serving was the day you received Christ, and the second best time is right now, right? Have you gone back to your family and loved them? Have you been patient with them in doing so? Have you been consistent? If you feel like things aren't changing, uh, it's not a guarantee that these things will happen because you know, free will exists. But uh, if you feel stuck and you ask that question to yourself as to whether or not you've gone back to your family um, and you say no, that's probably why you're not experiencing the same kind of transformation, at least in her own life that Eleni was just describing. And finally, uh, if you mentor someone who also isn't growing, that's a good question to ask them as well. Do you even know what's going on in your disciples' life at home with their family and how they're treating them? Uh, are they bringing back a redemptive element to their family? Uh, that is what we had to say here tonight. All right, Craig, get up here. We're going to do like questions and uh, answers. Oh, you guys have any kind of questions? Yeah, Carrie, what's up? 
looking for like everybody here. Oh. I was just wondering, oh, no. by a show of hands, how many people in this room have other family members that have either come or are coming and involved or are interested in coming to know the person? so much with the ability that all these brother half you guys teach tremendously <clears throat> and uh it's just powerful i wish i wish <clears throat> everything i heard tonight i could just get it in here and get it in here and, and it, i got maybe a little bit but i love it man. you guys so powerful in your teaching eleni's testimony Thanks, man. Yeah, it's not something that like we all have all the 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 salt the solution for, obviously, like Craig was saying. And I didn't even get to talk any about my family's circumstance. You know, we're definitely on the other end where he's bottled everything up and stuff like that. So we got our own issues still. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what victory we have seen, we can clearly prescribe to uh, the Lord. Uh, oh, Lindsay. Um, I don't know. I thought you guys did a really good job. And uh, I, I don't know. I just wanted to retweet what Lenny was saying. Like, I, I related a lot with um, similar kind of growing up and circumstances. And, like, it's a journey to try to, like, reconcile and uh, come back to your family and you need a lot of like grace and going back to the Lord over and over again but like it's definitely worth it and like I don't know uh, you also need your friends to help you because you don't have to have all the answers uh, but they can help understand that um, and I, I really liked what you were talking about with the, uh, the orphans and the widows because um, I do get to, like, start, I love these verses, because um, I volunteer at uh, Old Folks Ministry, where we go, and, like, literally these, these people are widows, and I think that it's funny that you were like, oh, modern day, like, people who are widows, like, they don't have all of, like, they have a lot more, and it's true, but if you go into a nursing home, it's still so so depressing and so mm -hmm. desolate and these these people uh, like oftentimes it's like a spiritual and relational poverty and then also the nursing homes gouge them like terribly yeah. and like make them spend all of their money so that's a whole different aspect of that too but they don't necessarily have the same community and so like um, I know that these are verses that are really helpful to me but I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go. They're old and hard. And what do I relate to them about? They probably won't remember your name. <laughs> they probably they, Sometimes they don't even remember your name when you walk right, in. Right. How do you build a relationship with someone like that? Your name. They, I've, I've gone to a couple different uh, nursing home ministries. And sometimes you talk about Jesus and the Bible. And that's really cool. And sometimes you're talking to someone that can't speak. And literally they don't like 
have an active conversation. It's just mostly mumbles, and they're like, you know Alfonso, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But then you leave, and they're like, but you'll be here next Thursday. You'll be here next week, right? Because they rem they know the love and they see the care, and like God cares about those people just as much as He cares about any of us. So I don't know. I just want to like, if you guys aren't in a service ministry and you want one, I love the old people. They're great. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that because we I was told we do need more people, especially a girl. So if anyone's interested, does she have here? An IV. Yeah, preferably someone that can teach, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where's down to teach? Yeah, that could be a big opportunity in the future for us. Is like, are we just going to, whenever we get old, are we just going to get shoved in a uh, retirement home too? Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe we bring back the uh, ministry houses in the future. We're just, <laughs> it's like, all of our husbands are dead. <laughs> <laughs> That could be pretty cool. <laughs> Angie? Um, yeah. Uh, Marianne, were you? Oh. Marianne, were you raising your hand? like almost a year and 
I like Craig, like what you're saying, like not being like, you know, the sharp Marianne, like being actually like, how can I be respectful? Where like, maybe like even when it's like really hurtful and that was like really hard. <laughs> and like praying and like trying to be respectful of what they want even when they weren't talking to us. And like now we have a relationship again. So I can really relate to this teaching and just what the Lord has done with my family. <laughs> people will pray it down. Yeah, Lord, I thank you that you're the great redeemer, that you want to redeem us, you want to redeem our families, you want to redeem our lives, and how we live it. You make all things new. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the, the teaching here tonight. Thank you for passing the money share, too, and your mercies remain every day, each morning. So thank you, God. You're so good to us. Yeah, thank you for changing my life and just the tra trajectory I was heading down. And uh, hey, you made me significant. You made so many here significant and, and stand uh, tall for your kingdom. So just pray, continue prayers for that, God. Pray that we can still stand uh, in your word and in, uh, in the truth with our families and love them as you're to love them. And not just to uh, avoid issues or anything, but you know, to confront issues, but in a really loving way. So we just pray for that. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you so much for all the families that you've changed here. And that you know you are changing hearts, Lord. Uh, yeah, thank you for Honey's family and Marion's family. And I could literally list off like every name of every year, just how you've been with people. And it's just it's so cool how you work. It's not instant, but it, like, you just you see it. You see that your love goes out. So I'm to be continuing to do that with people's families here and just show us how to gently. Harsh, but um, you know, gentleness and help us be slow to speak and to listen. Father, it's just so cool that like that you want to transform our lives. Um, 
reach your hand out to you as Father. And just thank you so much for that. Thank you for cleaning uh, our lives uh, and transforming our hearts, Lord. Um, before my heart was very different. Our <laughs> many years ago, Lord, and I'm just so grateful for that. Um, thank you that you were willing to send your son down here so that we can empower a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing to die on the cross for our sins. Yeah, Lord, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity that you promise here in Scripture, but also that we get to live out here in this fellowship and being able to uh, serve one another and to see our pretty twisted hearts change and that uh, the purpose of that change isn't some kind of self-gratification but uh, that we get to take that back uh, to our loved ones and those that don't know you at all outside of our families as well. Uh, I pray for uh, those who have been reaching out to their families that feel uh, you know, uh, dejected or like things are gonna change. I pray that your Holy Spirit can be working there. And I pray for a, uh, I don't know, a, reinvigorating spirit for those folks so that they can go back and continue to love their families so they can too come to know you.